Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Uh, going along with a study that our small groups are, are doing, they're studying a book by Thomas Rayner uh, that's entitled I Am a Church Member. And uh, that video uh, is, that we've been playing is based upon the book. But I'm doing a sermon series that's based on the themes of uh, the chapters, but not necessarily preaching the book to you on a Sunday morning. Uh, the purpose of it, hopefully, is, is to enhance our understanding of church membership. We... We live in a culture, increasingly I'll have people ask me, well, why, you know, why do you need to be part of a local church? And as I've been trying to mention most of these Sundays, the majority of the stuff that we're told to do as church members in the New Testament involve doing something through a local body of believers, doing something through a local church. Paul writes a lot of letters to local churches giving them specific instructions. So we're, we're just hoping it'll help us in, uh, in that way, have a better understanding of church membership. The themes that we are looking at, to start with, we began by talking about a functioning uh, church member. Last week, we talked about a unified church member. And today, we're going to talk about an unselfish church member. If you're reading along in the book, the title of the chapter is, uh, more or less, says, I, I will not let my church be about me or my preferences. Uh, because there's a tendency, I think, that we have as, as human beings to do that. We kind of get self-centered, and if we're not careful, we can allow our churches to become self-centered, and we start making it about what we want and all about us, and fail to remember that it needs to be about others. It needs to be about us ministering to each other, but it needs to be about others outside this body. And most importantly, we need to be sure that it's about Jesus Christ. The functioning church member, we talked about connectivity. We're all connected together. And we talked about ministry. We're connected together to do ministry. Last week, as we kept talking about the body of Christ, a, a, a unifying church member, in order for us to maintain that, or enhance unity within the body of Christ, we need to take steps of love, and uh, we also need to take uh, steps of responsibility. The Bible tells us to walk worthy of the calling that Christ has given us. We need to uh, take steps of protection. We need to be protecting each other instead of doing things like gossip uh, about each other. Especially, we need forgiveness, because if we don't practice forgiveness within a church body, it'll be pretty much impossible to have unity, because all of us mess up, don't we? I mean, all of us will disappoint someone or hurt someone, not meaning to a lot of times. And that's why we need to really learn how to practice forgiveness. And today, like I said, we're talking about being an unselfish church member. Um, the illustration of the body that Paul uses in the New Testament, I think fits well as we think about this thought of unselfishness, uh, as far as you and I not demanding what we want and making it all about us. Use the illustration of our body for a minute. What would happen if all of a sudden part of our body or some of the cells in our body made this decision? I want to keep all the blood for myself. 
I want to keep all the nutrients for myself. I want to keep all the oxygen for myself that the blood is bringing through the body. I'm going to make it all about me, and I'm going to hold on to all of that for myself. What would happen to the body? I'm going to die. And, uh, be diseased and die. If that were to happen, if we're going to say we're going to hold on to that ourselves, to a certain degree, that's the way cancer can start out uh, also. So they, that sounds kind of silly that our body would do that. But regrettably, sometimes in church, we'll do the same thing. We'll decide, I want to make it all about me. I want to make it all about my preferences. I want to make it all about what I want. And we'll turn church into more like an organization or a country club that we join to try and get privileges and perks and things like that out of it. Then we really make it what it should be as the, the body of Christ. And simply put, when we have that kind of attitude, it completely misses the purpose, I think, that God wants us to have as a church. Look at it like this. If we make it all about what we want as individuals or even what we want as a body, we're ignoring the head, Jesus Christ. If we make it about ourselves as individuals, we're ignoring the body. We're ignoring the rest of the body. If we make it about ourselves just as a church, not only are we ignoring the head or maybe ignoring the rest of the body, we're also doing this. We're ignoring those outside the body, those that we need to reach with the gospel, the world that we need to change and impact with the gospel if we just make it all about us. See, I think the New Testament tells us that, that God parks us. He places us within a church body. So our talents and our time and even our tithe, our monies and everything that we are can be used within that church body in the way that God wants to use us. And instead of it being about us, it needs to be about others and it needs to be about Jesus. And I'm going to say that a lot of different ways this morning. So today as we, uh, as we focus on this thing of being an unselfish church member, we might ask ourselves, well, how can we do that? I'm going to give us about three main, three main answers to that question. How we can avoid being selfish church members. How we can have the right focus in being an unselfish church member. Here's answer number one. Answer number one is this. We must remember we are not our own. That's foundational. That's the starting point for what we're talking about this morning. We have to remember that we are not our own. And in with that thought, you need to realize something. We didn't create the church. Amen? Jesus did. We don't own the church. Amen? Jesus does. We did not become a part of the church based upon our own virtue and our own abilities and our talents and based upon who we are. That's not how we became part of the church. We came a part of the church, became a member of the church by the grace of Jesus. But by him extending grace and mercy to us and us becoming part of his body. That's how we became part of the real church. And you might wonder, why am I saying the real church or the true church? Regrettably, there are a lot of churches that are more like organizations or more like country clubs, as I mentioned earlier, than they are really like a church. 
And that's why we need to remind ourselves, church is not about us. The foundational thing, if we're going to be unselfish church members, is to remind ourselves, for us to remember, we are not our own. And here's why we're not our own. Jesus bought and paid for us with his shed blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15 lets us know to begin with we're connected to the body of Christ as believers. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So we're joined together with, with him. He's the head and, and we're part of his body. But it goes on in 1 Corinthians and it says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, if our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then we ought to be about what the Holy Spirit wants. Here's a newsflash maybe for some of us. The Holy Spirit is not into us magnifying ourselves. You understand that? That's not what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to magnify Christ. So if we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, we need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and to direct us. He said, the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a what? A price. And since we were bought with a price, since Jesus paid for us with his life, with his shed blood on the cross, since we were bought with a price, he tells us this, so glorify God in your body. Now notice something. It doesn't say glorify yourself. It doesn't even say glorify a local church. Or glorify a group of people. It says because we were bought and paid for with the shed blood of Jesus, on the other side of us being bought and paid for with the shed blood of Jesus, our goal, our motivation ought to be this. Not to glorify ourselves, not to make it about us, not to make church about us. Our goal and motivation ought to be this. We are to glorify God in our bodies. That ought to be the motive of a church to glorify God. It ought to be the motive of your life in my life to glorify God because he paid for us. Jesus bought us with the greatest price of all, his life, his blood on the cross. And we're not to make it about glorifying us. We're to make it about glorifying him. Now, having focused on us, I want to... Kind of spread that out just a little bit before we move forward into the next point. Neither should we make church about following a particular group or people within a church. That's not what church is supposed to be about, following some group or some individual's desires within a church. Regrettably, sometimes churches can become really cliquish. You understand what I mean by cliquish? You've got this group over here, that group over there, and and regrettably, sometimes they become competing forces trying to decide, you know, who's going to have the say-so within the church. Who's going to get to exercise their authority or their will within a church? I've even seen in, in business meetings, now let me stress, I'm not talking about day three, but I have been in business meetings in the 30 years that I've been in the ministry as a pastor. I've been in church business meetings where I've literally seen people turn and look around during a vote to see how Mr. So-and-so is going to vote before they vote. You ever seen that before? See, it's not about Mr. So-and-so. I don't care who they are. <laughs> I don't care how many years they've been in the church. I don't care if their grandma and grandpa founded the church. It's not about them. It is about Jesus. 
And we need to be more concerned about his will and what he desires within the church. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians in response to some believers who were dividing up in the church of Corinth. Some were saying they were of Paul. Some were saying they were of Apollos. And here's what Paul writes. He says, so let no one boast in men. In other words, Paul said, hey, don't boast in being of Paul. Don't boast in being of Apollos or anybody else. Don't boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. In other words, as believers, there's no reason for the church at Corinth, Paul is saying, to divide themselves up underneath Paul and Apollos or Peter because as being Christians, they have all of them. They're all together. They're all part of the same body. No need to divide up underneath those categories. And then notice what Paul says. After he said, all are yours, he says this, and you are whose? You are Christ. Don't never be afraid to say that word. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. So what Paul is basically telling them is this. Your focus shouldn't be, well, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Peter. He's saying your focus ought to be this. You belong to Christ. Jesus paid for you. Christ is God in the flesh. He's the Son of God the Father. And since you are in Christ, you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God, we all belong to who? God. That needs to be our focus, not having a focus, well, I'm, I'm in this group or I'm in that group. Instead of boasting about men, we are to boast in Jesus. Hey, no one else died on the cross for your sins. Not Paul, not Apollos, not someone else within a church or any other church. Jesus is the one that bought us and paid for us. That's why we need to remember that we're not our own. And if we can remember that to begin with, have that focus that we are not our own, that will help us guard against being selfish church members. It's not about us. We're not our own. I probably shouldn't go there, but I don't know. It comes to my mind. I'm hoping it's the Holy Spirit bringing it to my mind. Hit the news a year or so back about a church in North Carolina. It's a mega church. It's really had a lot of growth and everything like that in North Carolina. But it hit the news because they had a coloring book that they had developed that had the lead pastor in the coloring book. And it had phrases like, we, we are following the visionary. I'm sorry, guys. To me, it's like you're brainwashing the kids. It's not about that pastor. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about Jesus, because he bought and paid for us with his shed blood. And if we will remember that, it'll help guard against you and I ever having the attitude, well, I want it my way, and it has to be my way, and no one else's way. If we'll remember, we were bought and paid for with a price. It doesn't belong to us to start with. Number two, since we're not our own, we need to remember this. What we are is servants. Since we're not our own, that means that we're servants. 57 times in the New Testament, you find the word servant. 
58 times in the New Testament, you find the word serve. A lot of those times, not every instance, but a lot of those times, the word that's translated from the Greek is a word doulos, which really means someone that's a slave, a bond slave, that totally belongs to somebody else. That, that's who we are in Jesus Christ. We totally belong to him. We're not our own. That means instead we are servants. The problem with church is many times that people try and find significance through the wrong pathway. Instead of finding significance through being a servant, they try and find significance through power or significance through a title or significance through some elevated status in life or some position of authority. And people will try and find fulfillment in in those ways. Evidently, even the disciples of Jesus had that philosophy. Look at this story in the New Testament in Mark. And they is talking about Jesus and the disciples. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. The disciples wouldn't answer Jesus. I understand why. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They had been debating with each other about who's the greatest. They're afraid to answer Jesus. When he asked them, what were you talking about? What were you arguing about? He sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be Last of all and servant of all. But they were afraid to answer Jesus when he asked them, what were you talking about? Now factor this in. Those disciples were there in many instances where they realized all of a sudden, hey, Jesus knew what those guys were thinking. <laughs> like when these men brought that paralytic and carried him on his bed up to the rooftop and broke the rooftop up and led him down to Jesus to get him to Jesus. And Jesus is there and he's going to heal the guy. And all the Pharisees and the legalistic group are off to the side saying, well, nobody can do that but God judge within themselves. You know, how dare Jesus say that he's going to forgive that fellow of his sins? And Jesus said, to prove that I have done it, get up and walk. Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts, the Bible told us. There are other instances of that, that the disciples had been present and realized, hey, they didn't say what they were thinking. Jesus knew what they were thinking. They had also seen Jesus do things like heal people, like feed thousands of people with a little bit of loaves and a little bit of fishes. They had seen Jesus do things like raise the dead, walk on water, steal the storm, cast out demons. Now this same Jesus that they had seen with all that authority and power looked at them and he asked them, what were you talking about along the way? And they were afraid to answer him. But Jesus, knowing what they were doing, what they were arguing about in their hearts along the way, Jesus uses it as a teaching moment. Instead of just condemning them, he teaches them. 
And it goes on and says, and he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, a child in his arms, he said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. Now to add a little bit more perspective to that story, we need to read Matthew's account of this same incident that's taking place. And it tells us in Matthew 18, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is doing is giving them an object lesson. He's teaching them something because they've been arguing among themselves who among us is the greatest and Jesus grabs this little child puts a little child in his lap and he says unless you humble yourselves like this little child and here's what Jesus means that little child would not come to Jesus and saying I deserve anything that little child would not come holding on to his own merit and his own goodness and his own works. That child didn't have any of his own merit to hold on to. Instead, in humility, that child would come there before Jesus and sit in the lap of Jesus. What Jesus is telling the disciples is this. Quit trying to hold on to your stinking pride. Quit trying to hold on to what you think makes you significant and important. Quit trying to argue about who's greatest and understand this. You need to humble yourself instead of worrying about who's the greatest. You you need to be a servant instead of trying to be someone who thinks they're in a position of authority. Jesus is teaching them the pathway to significance is being a servant. And for us to truly assume the role of a servant, you have to be unselfish. You have to practice humility. I almost did this to you today. And I probably will do it to you in the future. (laughs) But we almost wound up with basins all around this place filled with water. And at the end of the service, me tell you to wash each other's feet. To get ready for it, it's probably going to happen. Come close to happening today. But I felt like God was saying, maybe hold on to that a little bit. See, some churches practice that like an ordinance. It's not an ordinance. It never was established as an ordinance within the church. But it sure is an example of humility, an example of serving someone else. And some of you guys that have been involved in Kairos, you've done it. You've been there. We've washed each other's feet. Quit worrying about authority. Quit worrying about power. Jesus is saying, instead, you need to take on the role of a servant. Luke tells us a similar story. Luke says a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But Jesus said, but not so with you. In other words, he looked at his disciples and he said, don't think that significance is found in your life by being like some politician or some king or someone that's lording over someone else. You might know, kind of read into that. Jesus is telling us the pathway to greatness in the church is not found in politics. 
And regrettably, we let politics, and it's not just, I'm not talking about necessarily Republican, Democrat, or Tea Party, or whatever politics. Churches themselves can get very political. That's not the pathway to greatness. The pathway to greatness is not trying to be like a king or some type of politician or somebody exercising authority. Jesus said, that's not the way I want you to behave. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Now, when Jesus asks that question and answers it, he's answering it from the worldly perspective. From the worldly point of view, he said, is it not the one who reclines at the table? That is the worldly point of view. The greatest person is the one that's set in the air, letting somebody else serve them. That's the way the world views it. But Jesus said this, but I am come among you as one who does what? Serves. The king of all the universe, (laughs) the one who spoke creation into existence. Jesus said, I came as a servant. I came among you as one who serves, and you and I need to be servants. That's the pathway to greatness. We need to be great servants because that's what Jesus did. Now, even though all that had already happened, and you would think all the disciples would have got the message, wouldn't you? Huh? If you've been arguing among yourselves and Jesus said, what were you arguing about? And, and you'd come to Jesus asking, who's going to be greatest? And Jesus kept pointing away from all that stuff and saying, no, it's about being a servant. Well, it seems like Jesus has some hard-headed disciples, kind of like some of us can be, that somehow didn't get the message. Because we also find this story in the New Testament. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, up to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in the kingdom. I always thought this was kind of comical. I mean, get the full story. I, I mean, it could be two ways. It could be this mother pushing their sons. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Parents pushing their children. They, we've done that before, haven't we, parents? You know. Or it could have been this. These two disciples coming up to their mom and saying, Mama, we really want to sit on both sides of Jesus. Will you go and ask him? We don't want to ask him. Will you ask him for us? Jesus said, are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? Notice what happens. They said to him, not the mother. The mother had got the intro point. They're there at either side. And as soon as Jesus said, can you drink this cup? They said, they chimed in, these two disciples, and said, we're able Then he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left hand. See, they didn't even understand what drinking his cup meant. (laughs) Let's 
going to be a whole lot tougher than what they imagined. But, uh, but as for whom it is be prepared by my Father, who sits at my right or left hand will be prepared by my Father. Notice this. And when the other ten heard it, what happened? They got mad, right? They were indignant. See, that's one reason why we need to guard against selfish attitudes even within the church. That's why we have to guard against trying to make it about us and what we want. Because in the process of doing that, if we're not awfully careful, we're going to make a whole lot of other people mad. They were indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, kind of the same thing we read a moment ago, lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as, right there's our model, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The model that you and I are to follow, the model that the church is to follow is this. We are to be servants. If the God of all the universe became human flesh and came into this world and set an example of being a servant and tells us we are to be servants, then who are we to make the church about ourselves? Jesus said you are to serve. The model that we follow is Jesus. We're to serve each other, minister to each other, care for each other, but we're also to reach a lost and dying world because Jesus came and died for them. It is not about us. It's not about a country club relationship. It's not about a membership with perks. It's about us realizing that Jesus came into this world, died for our sins, bought and paid for us with his shed blood. That means now we're to be servants, and he himself set the model of being a servant. What you and I are to be about is this. We're to be about serving like Jesus served. We're not to make it about us, about ourselves. Jesus also, I'm going to cover one more passage of Scripture before we move on. Jesus also talked about being great by being a servant in Matthew 23. And I'm not going to read all those verses. I I will tell you what it says, and you can kind of read through them as I talk. Jesus was speaking to the crowds and his disciples. In the crowds were the scribes and the Pharisees also. Jesus tells the crowds and his disciples, don't be like the Pharisees. He said, they may be in a place of authority in Moses' seat, but he said, don't act like they act. Because they go around pridefully wanting people to recognize them. They go around wanting to look like they have this position of authority within the Jewish believers. And they wanted the recognition and they wanted the glory, and they wanted people to kind of bow down to them because they're the Pharisees and they're the scribes. But Jesus said those same people tie up a bunch of heavy bondage and place it upon the shoulders of people and won't even do one thing to help the people move the burden that they put upon them. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Instead, the next screen. 
Next one, please. One more, I think. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. Church is not about us as individuals. Church is not about any one group within a church. Church is about us as one body joining together to love each other, minister to each other, serve each other. Jesus bought and paid for us with a price. We do not belong to ourselves. We didn't create the church. We didn't buy the church Jesus did with his own shed blood. And he calls us to be servants. And if we will remember we're to be servants... It will guard against us making the church about our own preferences and what we want. Because instead of me being concerned about what I want, I'll be concerned about what you want, what you need. And we'll try and minister to each other as various parts of the body. And beyond that, we'll be concerned about a lost and dying world outside the walls of these places we call churches. Which, by the way, is not the church anyway. It's a building where the church meets. The only time the church is here is when we're gathered together in this place when a believer is in this building. Other than that, it's a building. And when you leave and go outside the walls of this place, you are the church going outside the walls of this place into a lost world. And we're not to make it about us. We're to make it about others, and we're to make it about a lost world. We're to make it about Jesus. That brings us to the third and last point, the last answer this morning. What can help us have the focus of being unselfish? What what can help us guard against having the attitude of, it's all about me? Well, simply put, it's this. We need to recognize because we're servants, that means it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's not about us. That's why we cannot make church about our own individual desires and preferences. Because it is not about us. Church is to be about others. I've already said that this morning, but I want you to see it from from Philippians chapter 2. I rubbed shoulders last week with Philippians 2, a few of the verses that are there. But Paul writes this. He says, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, here's the way... We as believers, we as a church, here's the way we're supposed to think. This is the attitude that we're supposed to have. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Now, if anyone... If anyone could ever come into this world and have the right and the authority to make it about themselves, it could have been Jesus who's God in the flesh. Amen? But instead, he comes into this world, empties himself of all that, takes on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Here's the picture. Jesus came as a servant. 
Now, he served in a lot of ways. He healed people, ministered to people, cared for people. But here's ultimately how Jesus cared for us. He died on the cross for our sins. That's how he ultimately became a servant. Why did he do that? Because his earthly ministry was about serving us in that fashion. His earthly ministry was about coming here and doing for us what we cannot do. Jesus came into this world, his ministry to be about being that ultimate servant by dying on the cross in our place for our sins on the cross. And Paul here tells us, you and I are to have the same mindset. We're to have a mindset that puts other people first. We're to take on the role of a servant. Even to the degree that we recognize Jesus died for us. And that might mean it just might cost you and I something to be a servant to somebody else. It may not cost you your life, but it may cost you your preferences. It may cost you your likes or your dislikes. It may cost you some pride that you want to hold on to in your life. But it will definitely cost us something if we really want to be a servant to other people the way God desires for us to be servants to others. In the book, if you're reading through the book, this week in uh, chapter 3, there's a little section entitled Inward Focused Churches. They did a survey of churches that were were inwardly focused. In other words, they were churches making it all about themselves. What they found within those churches were that these inward-focused churches were having worship wars. In other words, what kind of music are we going to play? What style of music will it be about? They were having meetings focused on minors. In other words, they were worrying and arguing about what color to paint a classroom and that kind of stuff. What kind of trash cans to buy to maybe go in the Sunday school classrooms. They were arguing and debating and having a lot of meetings about those things, but they were ignoring the majors such as the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. In other words, the attitude is this, well, we want to be sure we get the color carpet we want in the church, but it doesn't really matter if a world goes to hell. They were facility-focused. In other words, they had turned their facilities, instead of it being a place to serve people, to minister to people, it was like uh, an idol, this pristine thing that we want to be sure stays exactly like it ought to look, and nothing gets out of place, and nothing gets dirty, and nothing gets damaged. I was called to a church one time, and they were talking to me about on the front end, and uh, this particular church had built a gym and put a hardwood floor in it, and and everything, and they were really concerned about that hardwood floor staying nice. They were talking to me about that before they called me to be pastor. I asked them, why did you build a gym if people aren't going to get on the hardwood floor? If it's not going to be used to reach people for Jesus, why build a gym? In other words, a soul is more important than a hardwood floor, Amen. They call me anyway, I don't know why, but anyway. (laughs) Sometimes churches will have arguments over programs for the sake of programs. In other words, there will be this program that is so endeared to that church, they can't do anything with it. It has to always keep going when maybe the best thing that needs to be done with that program is kill it because it's not doing anything to reach anybody. 
they were, had an inward focused budget. In other words, you could look at their budget and see everything was about them. Nothing at all going out to others. They had unrealistic demands upon the pastors and the staff. In other words, they expected maybe 80, 100 hours a week and they were supposed to do everything and no one else in the church recognized that they were supposed to be servants also and be doing anything within the church. These inward focused churches had attitudes of entitlement. They had anger over changes, didn't like anything being changed, but they never ever exhibited that same passion over the gospel and people being saved. They had anger and hostility. They had evangelistic apathy. In other words, they just didn't care that people were going to go to hell for all eternity if they didn't trust in Jesus. That's a bad picture of some churches, isn't it? But if we don't stay on guard and realize church isn't about us and understand we're not to make it about our own individual preferences, it's very easy over a period of time to slip more and more and more and more and more into becoming that type of church. Those churches didn't start out like that type of church. They morphed into those kinds of churches over a period of time. A lot of you, I think, probably aware that uh, I work part-time some just a few hours a, a, a month for the state convention. I, I've done it for some time. Used to, I was the, uh, the training officer for the State Baptist Convention on how to interview potential church planners. And in the process of doing that, I also had to interview potential church planners. Now, right now, I'm not doing that. I'm just kind of working with people that have already been approved to be church planners. But over a period of years, me interviewing potential church planners, I would have some stories in the process of the interview hit me that the other person told me that I, that I really had to kind of bite my tongue to keep from coming across the wrong way. I remember one young man that was wanting to plant a church in Watauga in the area of, of, of Appalachian State. And he had served as a youth pastor at another church in a different part of the state, not this part of the state. And he kept having struggles because he's trying to reach a housing development that had been built across from the church. I'm sorry, I don't understand that mentality. I, I just don't, guys. If, if, if God allows a housing development to be built across the road from the church or a trailer park to be put out behind the church, he just sent you a boatload of people right in your backyard. But this church and some of the, quote, powers that be in the church didn't like that housing development being there. Public housing that had been built was what it was, not a housing development, but public housing. But this guy at that time was the youth pastor, and he made arrangements during vacation Bible school to take the church van. He went through and he picked up a lot of children, and most of those that lived in, the, in that public house, and most of those were African-American children. And he picked them up, and he brought them to vacation Bible school, and he promised all the parents when he picked them up, I'll have them back at this time. And he had a set time to get them back. First time he'd ever done anything like that. So, you know, kind of his integrity was on the line with those parents. The end of vacation Bible school that night came. 
And the church van cannot be found anywhere. And he looked and he looked and he made phone calls and phone calls. And finally, an hour later, a lady pulled up with a church van. And she had intentionally taken the church van and went to Walmart to do some shopping for the church. Knowing that the youth pastor was supposed to get those children back to their homes by a set time. He confronted her about that, not in a mean way, but just to let her know the problem that it caused. She said, I don't want those children coming to my church because they might get saved and they might be baptized and those children might make the baptismal waters turn yellow. Now, you understand why I was having trouble bite my tongue? What I really wanted to do was call time out from the interview, say, tell me where that lady lives. We'll do the interview another day. I'm going to go visit her and slap her in a Jesus kind of way. <laughs> and then she looked at him and she said, I was here at this church before you came, and this will be my church after you're gone. God help us. When we have people in, quote, churches that have those kinds of attitudes and they make it all about themselves. Because we need to remember it's not about us. Church is to be about others. In your last blank is this, our last sub point is church is to be about Jesus. Philippians goes on. Paul writes these words. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Notice that. Him. Jesus. And bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. I want you to quickly notice something. We're about done. But I want you to quickly notice something. The Bible does not say that God has highly exalted us. It doesn't say that God has highly exalted you. It doesn't say that God has highly exalted some church member to seek their way and make church all about them. It doesn't say that God has given us or some church member a name that's above every name. It doesn't say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that some church member or some pastor or some group within a church is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the name of Jesus has been exalted, highly exalted, and at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. That includes every atheist. I'm going to get politically incorrect, I guess. That includes every Muslim. That includes every 
terrorist, and that also includes every church member who's ever made church about themselves because they will bow and they will put that cold, stiff knee to the ground and they will confess with that tongue that Jesus is Lord. And that's who the church is supposed to be about. It's not about us. It's about others and it's about Christ. If we make the church about us, we've got, we've got a messed up, upside down church if we make it about us. We need to remember with what I just said, and I need to remind myself with what I just said. There'll be a tendency when we talk about stuff like this, the first time you bump into some church member that's being like we've talked about, there'll be a tendency for you to judge them and look down on them and have the wrong attitude toward them. We need to recognize something. If that's an authentic church member, instead of judging them, we need to love them and try and change the way they think because they're still part of the same body. Instead of just get mad and angry and want to slap them in a Jesus kind of way, like I said earlier. Jesus said this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Like it or not, that includes people that are hard to get along with. That includes people that are self-righteous, self-serving church members, we still need to treat them the way we want to be treated because maybe, just maybe, that will change them. We need to avoid making church about our individual desires. It's not our church, we're not our own. Jesus bought and paid for it. That means we're supposed to be servants and since we're supposed to be servants, that means it's not about us. It's about other people and it's about Jesus. Tom Rainer writes this in this week's chapter. He says, so if we approach church membership from the perspective of entitlement, in other words, what we can get out of it, we have it upside down. You always ask first what you can do for your church. Instead of jumping to being critical to begin with or instead of running away and separating to begin with the first step ought to be this that we try to be part of the solution that we try and fix the need within the church if we recognize something needs to improve instead of just leaving you need to try and improve it yourself because you're part of the body And when you get tired and discouraged or upset or frustrated of trying to serve other people, here's the only thing you need to do. You need to remember the cross. Because as we try and serve others and we try and make it about others and make it about Christ and not about us, 
We try to make it about a lost and dying world. We try to make it about ministering to each other. I guarantee you, because relationships and things like that, we're human beings, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get disappointed, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to get frustrated, you won't give up, throw your hands up. In that moment, you remember what Jesus did on the cross. Let's pray. Father, Father, in this series, it seems like every time I start to pray at the end of the service, I'm saying, Father, forgive us. But Lord, we, we need that because regrettably, we, we do have tendencies many times to make the church about us. Help us to remember that we're not our own. We thank you that you bought us and you paid for us with the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, those that are gathered in this place that know Christ as their Savior, in this moment as they pray and in this moment as we sing in, in just a minute, Father, help, help them to celebrate that you have bought them, that you've paid for them with the shed blood of Jesus. Father, help us also to recognize that that means we're supposed to be servants since we're not our own. We're yours. We belong to you. We're supposed to be servants. And that means we make it not about ourselves, but about others. Father, if there's someone gathered with us this morning in this room, in this building, that does not know Christ as Savior, give them the faith they need right now to believe in your Son and His finished work on the cross. That you love them so much you became flesh. That you love them so much you became a servant. And you were obedient even to dying on the cross for our sins. And help anyone here that does not have faith in Christ to believe in Him now. And to be willing in just a moment to step forward and make it public. Lord, the rest of us as, as members here at Day 3 Church, I, I pray that you'd seal in our hearts this morning that we don't make it about us. But we make it about you and others. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.